Hello, hi, how are you? Welcome to the Raise Mary Hell podcast. So before we even begin this pretty interesting episode, if I do say so myself, I wanted to talk about the fact that we're now talking about Jim Jones, a cult leader, and I guess you could say mass murderer in my opinion. Uh, why we're talking about this, if you haven't watched my update video, I did not like the way my podcast was going. I wanted a theme since like my YouTube channel is pretty much me just doing or talking about whatever I want and also like writing. <laughs> so I wanted my podcast episodes to have a theme. So. I wanted it to be something that I was interested in, so I decided on cults, and that is essentially because I really like true crime stuff, but I didn't want to do, um, I don't know, like the regular true crime stuff that most true crime content creators make. I wanted it to be, like, specific to something, so I decided, uh, that cults was a good fit for me because I'm very interested in cults, and I really, I mean, I know there were going to talk about murder and stuff, but I find that when, like, for example, when I was researching a different true crime craze case, not for any reason other than I was interested in it, and I came across a video, or not a video, a picture of the dead, the guy who was murdered, his body, and I cannot handle that, uh, so I don't, I mean, if I come across a case that I want to talk about that's not cult related, I, I'll, I obviously will talk about it, uh, but I'm very interested in cults, so that's the theme we're going with right now, and the way I'm going to do it, I wanted to present this to you a little differently, so I did like a, a whole entire fucking deep dive. This, even, I'm not finished with my notes even, which is why the Jim Jones, it's gonna be like a series. And we're going to go, like, really deep dive into his life. Uh, and so far, like I said, I'm not even done. Uh, I haven't even gotten to, like... I'm just, like, in the middle of his life right now in my research. And, yeah, it's going to be a really long series. Uh, which is fine. I was super interested in, like, in how Jim Jones got to where he ended up. And that's kind of why I started this. <laughs> Um, and also I am, I'm very, very, very tired. I work a lot. <laughs> so if I mess up on my words, it's because they work a lot and my brain and my mouth are just not cooperating with me. And this is like the third time I've tried to film this. So, and also if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm currently knitting something, I'm knitting a scarf. So that is what I am doing as well as discussing this with you here today. So, with that being said, <laughs> let's begin from the beginning, and I'm also going to be looking at my uh, Google Doc. So, so Jim Jones was born on May 13th, 1931. His mother was Lin Lynetta Jones, and his father was James Thurman Jones. Lots of very similar <laughs> names, I feel, it's like a tongue twister. Jim Jones was born two years after the crash of 1929. The United States was on a downward spiral that basically we wouldn't recover from uh, this Great Depression until 1939. So basically Jim Jones was just like born into the longest, deepest, and most widespread depression of the 20th century, which is just really sad. 
I would not want to be born in the midst of a Great Depression. I don't know about you. So along with being born into a spiraling and plummeting economy, uh, Jim Jones' mother, mother Lynetta Jones, was uh, said to not take to motherhood in the same ways that most mothers seem to. She was basically super indifferent about motherhood and about her son. Oh my God, if you could hear my bird, he's being super nasty today and there's nothing I could do about it sometimes. He's on my sleeping schedule and um, I don't know, like there's like, if he wasn't on my sleeping schedule, we just would not hang out as often. But sometimes I think uh, staying up late and being on that sleeping schedule makes him a little grumpy. So I'm sorry if you could hear him but he won't come and sit with me, so. <laughs> but anyways, so what was the thing? Lynetta Jones was super indifferent about motherhood, so apparently um, in her early earlier years, she didn't even want children or marriage. She wanted to actually pursue a career in business. She wanted to even pave the way for women who wanted to pursue monetary success rather than home life success. And after Lynetta's father died, she looked up to his foster father, so her non-biological grandfather. So he was like this super successful businessman. His name was Lewis Parker, and he actually gained his wealth in lumber mills. And when the timber ran out, which I'm not really sure what, what the fuck that means, uh, but after the timber ran out, whatever that means, he turned to grain. Uh, he did, however, lose all of his money. But Lynetta blamed his loss of wealth on his generosity and humanitarianism. I don't know if that's true, but she looked up to him and idolized him and that's what she blamed it on. She did go to college, dropped out and went back to college. And then her mother died and suddenly this changed her view on marriage and bearing a child. When she was engaged to James T. Jones, so Jim Jones's, Jim Warren Jones, the, the one who did the bad thing, his father, uh, before she was even pregnant with the Jim Jones who did the bad thing, <laughs> she decided she wanted to have one child and she decided it was going to be a boy and not only that, that he would be ambitious and as kind-hearted as his grandfather. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I think this is one of those uh, be careful what you wish for type scenarios. Either that or maybe the grandfather was actually a really bad person and Jim Jones ended up being a really bad person too because she wished for that. I don't know, maybe she manifested it and the universe was like, all right, you don't know that your grandfather actually sucks, so he's going to suck too. Again, that's just speculation. I don't know because there's not much information about the grandfather and I feel like no one cares about the grandfather except for me. So, so also in regards to the grandfather, so there also isn't that much information as to like Lynetta and James Jones, uh, like why she chose him <laughs> because Lynetta seemed to be a really uncaring person she was like the personification of a stone or ice, you know, she just kind of seemed like she sucked. Uh, and also James was a World War One vet who was semi crippled due to mustard gas. He had really horrible health at the age of like 45. 
and he could only really hold some jobs on the railroad or in construction but i don't know if i mentioned this later in my notes but he was such like he was so crippled from mustard gas mostly in his lungs it seemed that if he walked down the block he would be winded what is that noise what is happening okay sorry if you hear that there's nothing I could do about any noise you hear, so. So in 1934, Lynetta and James moved their small family to a town called Lynn in hopes to earn a living and attend church, because like I said, it was the Great Depression at, still at this point. And, but apparently Lynn, the town, was a great little small town. There were no bars. Dancing wasn't allowed at school dances. There was like a half a dozen churches so like you know how you go into a town and there's like a half a dozen mcdonald's um it was like that but with churches <laughs> or like i don't know like for example like where i live there's always like a bunch of 7-elevens it's like that <laughs> and another thing that appealed to them about this town was the fact that there was no black people and thus no kkk members so this just cl to clarify this is information that i found on the internet uh i was reading a book and the book explained that's why they moved to this town in the 30s that was like something that white people looked for no black people you know racism yay weird religious people okay so the jones lived in sort of like a shitty part of lynn and lynetta and james both took like whatever jobs they could get in this small town and Lynetta was like sort of a troublemaker. She didn't really fit the mold of the other women in town. She was also the breadwinner in her family, which was obviously very uncommon at the time. And I just accidentally missed a stitch on the thing that I'm knitting. Okay, whatever. Um, so Lynetta really drove her son that he would be sorry I'm, I missed a whole word but <laughs> Lynetta really drove it into her son that he would be uh, a success and not a slave to the rich she even during the Great Depression managed to save some money for his college education and although it seemed like her intentions were good uh, the town actually knew her to be very neglectful and Jim was left unattended basically every day. So little Jim Jones befriended dogs, <laughs> cats and stray animals, and even their neighbor, her name is Myrtle Kennedy. She's like a little old lady, but she did become like a surrogate mother as well as like a spiritual mother. So Miss Myrtle was basically the person to blame for introducing Jim to God. <laughs> She would, like, spend hours uh, with him on her porch, preaching the word of, you know, the, her Lord and Savior. And Myrtle even made sure that Jim went to Sunday school. So, you know, bless her heart and all that. But, you know, we all know how that ended. So, so during this time growing up in Lynn, he became a bit of a loner. Uh, Jim mostly read books. However, he was outspoken in class. He even developed a routine where he would uh, use a few curse words, which amused some other, uh, like, these dudes who would, like, hang out, I guess, by, like, where the boats were. The docks, I guess. And uh, Jim would do this, basically, so they would be amused and 
give him a soda. Uh, he was very keen to the fact that he looked really different than all the other kids in town. They, all the other kids in town had like lighter hair and skin tone, and he was very olive skinned with black hair and very dark brown eyes. It didn't seem like this made him insecure though. I keep dropping stitches because I'm not looking. And like, I'm sure a lot of you and even myself have experienced that if you look a little different, um, it does affect your security in yourself but he was very confident in his appearance and particularly very confident in the way his hair looked and another little tidbit about jim jones childhood is that he kept like various animals and enjoyed playing with them but since most of the other children in lynn did not have animals i guess due to like you know the great depression they would come to see jim's animal farm and jim and Jin would like instruct them to like clean up after them. But since I guess he kept like really not good care of them, he often had animal funerals on his property. I even saw something that apparently he like stabbed the shit out of a cat. So there's that. So later, a year before Jim Jones' death, actually, Jim would state about how alone he felt in his youth and how angry it made him. He stated that he was like filled with rage. When you think about it, his mom really wasn't around and his father was like an older crippled man. And all the kids in town liked him enough, but thought he was eccentric and even weird. And he had Miss Kennedy who just wanted to teach him the ways of the Lord. <laughs> and probably was uh, around him just to try to be like a good Catholic woman or Protestant or whatever, a good god-fearing woman i don't actually know the specifics on her religion but here is my little conspiracy theory about jim's childhood with what we know so far jim was a super super weird kid who had no one uh not really anyway he was in survival mode i would imagine and literally took what he could get in terms of affection and attention and I think he probably found a little bit of belonging in, in church and in God. Uh, because like I said, Miss Kennedy took him to like Sunday school and church and stuff. But I think like the, like he probably associated going to church with some sort of belonging, which is why he kept falling back onto it. But also he did like attend this one church and this uh the lady minister took a huge liking to jim and she would allow jim to visit her if she was ever sick or come to her farmhouse and eventually preach right alongside her he eventually started preaching to the kids in the neighborhood so i'm sure looking back to jim's childhood uh when he was an adult i'm sure like looking back to those moments of him being in church and feeling accepted that was probably the only good memories he had of his childhood but while also uh when jim was a kid he took a huge interest in religion obviously so when jim was in high school world war ii was ending and during this time he had a, a huge interest in gandhi stalin and he was super into learning about Hitler uh, and he was very interested in Russia and communism and socialism and Machiavellian, Machiavellian ideas. So basically long story short, Jim Jones was like a really weird kid 
and he had really weird parents who I'm sure traumatized him and some honorary mentions of weird crap he did when he was younger which I wasn't really sure how to add these but they felt relevant was that he apparently shot or nearly shot his friend Don in the foot even proclaiming to his friend that he was going to shoot him and he would dress up in like a full length white sheet and walk downtown with a giant bible and he'd offer salvation so uh like real life foreshadowing is all i'm saying um he apparently had some weird vendetta against the pool hall in town as well and he would often tell people that if they went to the pool hall they were also going to go to hell i don't know about you guys but i don't know i always assume that cult leaders who proclaim to be prophets were often just like selling snake oil and what i mean by that is that they were just looking for something to sell they want people to join this thing they want the consistent validation of followers people who believe that god chose them to speak specifically like specifically through them uh, like maybe they don't even believe in God, but they know that people need something to believe in. So like, why not them, you know? But at this time, Jim was, was actually very religious. And even though he was an eccentric weirdo in the smallest town of people, uh, they still invited him to like dances and stuff, but he wouldn't even dance because he thought it was sinful. You know, like, he believed what he was saying at this point in time. I think that does change later on, but we'll, of course, get into that when we get there, but we are not there yet. So, Jim Jones, when he was a teen, ended up working in this hospital in another town, and he would actually, like, preach to strangers on the street so this man was dedicated to the lord is what i'm saying <laughs> and like not to be fucked up but i feel like since he was the town weirdo and his mom and dad were both kind of shitty it seems to me that jesus was his mommy and daddy is all i'm saying i don't know i had to put my bird down for a nap i don't know how long that will last but like myself the bird and i both need a nap i think <laughs> but i'm gonna do this but anyways what was i saying but yeah jim jones just i think had a really shitty hand dealt to him he didn't really have anyone growing up except his old lady neighbor <laughs> he other than that he really didn't have anyone and he also grew up during the great depression world war one world war two well world war one was before his time but you know it was like right like one after the other uh, and the thing that fucked up his dad's lungs, which made him, like, not have a good, uh, you know, like, the normal father-son relationship. I feel like outside and inside influences just simply sucked. <laughs> so, like, during this time, he just jumped to the thing that wouldn't turn away from him. And I guess it was the Lord. I don't know. So, anyways, when he worked part-time at the hospital in Richmond which is apparently up the road the railroad tracks of his hometown so this town was more racially diverse 
So when he was in his hometown, it was basically all white, like I said earlier. That was like the main thing as to why they moved to Lynn was because it was all white. But he now, when he went to work, he was in a more racially diverse town. And this is actually where he began preaching the Bible and also talking about race and poverty. And ultimately, race and social social justice ended up being the thing that essentially spearheaded this religious campaign that would like later become the backbone of the people's temple so to make jim's life even worse jim's parents ended up splitting up during this time and jim was going to live with his mother and they were going to move out of his hometown and they were going to move to richmond this is and this is the place where he began to grow his following. And this is also where he met his wife, Marceline Baldwin, who actually happened to be a nurse working at the hospital uh, in Richmond. So in Jim's last few weeks of high school, uh, he sort of stopped going and opted to quit his job. And he moved to Bloomington, Indiana to attend university while in college. And during this time, him and Marceline got engaged they got a joint bank account and my girl supported him. They eventually got married on Sunday, June 12th, 1949. I keep, I, oh my God, this is like the third stitch that I almost dropped. Okay. All right. We, we, we fixed it. And once Jim created his own family, he seemed to have it pretty normal. <laughs> he was going to school and yeah, his wife was supporting him, but he was looking for part-time work. And he was considering either being a hospital administrator or a lawyer. Um, so those are the same thing, obviously. And he was really close to his wife's family and really loved the hell out of her grandma. So it was like, really, this was a really great time for Jim. <laughs> and he even stopped preaching on the street on the side of the road. So it seems that things were like really, really looking up for him. And also, according to the book that I was reading, the book is called Raven. Uh, during this, and you know, it's weird about this freaking book. It was very informative. I actually did have to stop reading it and switch to a different book because it's like so informative that I actually was like, I'm never going to get there with this book. It was like a thousand pages and I read half of it and I was like, wow, we have not even reached the end. This is like too much information. I don't need to know. Um, but... And I also hate the name. They literally called it Raven because people said that his hair was ravenous. Like, it looked like a raven because it was black. Like, dumb name. Anyways, um, <laughs> but during the beginning, again, okay, so what was I saying? This information I got from the book Raven, which is about Jim, obviously. But, um, so during the beginning of their marriage, so says this book, his wife was still super religious and Jim at this point was starting to question, question whether or not there even was a God, uh, being that he lived in a much bigger town now and he was seeing seg the segregation of black people and white people and was also seeing the stark difference between rich areas and the poor areas, so classism. And he was just going through a period of time where he was like, if there is a God, why would there be so much shitty things in the world? Which is fair. I, I feel like the people that I knew when I was a kid who were very religious and like even went to like religious camps and stuff like that. I feel like all of them have experienced 
uh, the questioning as to whether or not there is a god because like why is there bad shit in the world then so i you know i feel like that's totally valid and fair so also during this time jim was questioning his religion and all they also him and marceline moved into a trailer and now suddenly their family was not getting along so also the next thing i'm going to mention because it seems relevant but apparently eleanor roosevelt spoke at his college and it really changed jim as a person i guess because uh it's mentioned in everything that i've read so uh, but Eleanor Roosevelt was very sensitive, and I quote, to the plight of black Americans, and this specific thing really moved Jim, and I'm thinking it was probably the inspiration for his, uh, like, social justice fight against racism, and why he really wanted to become an activist. It was also said that during this time, he was, like, still super into communism, seems to be a really really common theme in his entire life is that he really believes in communism and he made super like sympathetic statements about communism and later in his life he did make claims that he had always been into communism and honestly i think that is 100 percent true literally every dissertation that i read every book that i read it seems that my man Jim Jones was like actually a communist and was very sympathetic towards Hitler. So during the beginning of their marriage, when they were living in this trailer, he would consistently test Marceline's love in super sadistic ways. He would test her loyalty and he would also do this to like friends around him during this time. And I think he also just did this throughout his entire life. Um, but marceline especially would just sort of laugh it off because obviously they had just gotten married so it was like the beginning of their relationship uh, some real codependent stuff happening here which totally makes sense because i think you know marceline grew up in a super religious household and although i don't think it doesn't I don't, nothing has led me to believe that her childhood home was abusive but she was the eldest daughter and took on a motherly role with her siblings and I think in turn that made her sort of motherly to Jim, which like actually is super unhealthy in a partnership type relationship. Uh, I don't know. I think like I'm cracking my knuckles if you were listening to this on Spotify or whatever, but <laughs> if you wanted to know what that was, um, I, I, I've been in codependent relationships. If you watched my first podcast, I talk about this, but when I talk about my relationship with the narcissist, uh, he definitely played caregiver to me, but I was super mothering towards him. Like when we had been together, like I did all the cleaning, I took care of everything in a very mothering type of way. He even once said to me that I took better care of him than his own mother, which PS gentlemen out there, your girlfriend should not be a replacement mother towards you that's really fucking weird you should just be a grown-ass adult and do adult things yourself and ladies if you're out there being the mother to your boyfriend stop <laughs> that's weird <laughs> so from personal experience i would say that this type of this type of relationship that's going on here between jim and marceline is super codependent in my opinion so like I, I think sometimes, like, for example, the narcissist and myself, I think we were both codependent to each other, 
but for a long time in our relationship, the narcissist had full control, of course, until he didn't because I left. But I think with Jim and Marceline, like I said, I could only really relate what I read about their marriage to things that I've experienced, obviously, because I can't relate it to anything else. But um, I would say that to me, it seemed like a similar situation where they were both codependent to each other. However, Jim Jones always, always had full control. So I'm not really sure what, like, re like the specifics about the next thing I'm going to talk about. But there was apparently this dude in their family named Ronnie who became like Jim's little prodigy. Uh, so Ronnie lived with Jim and Marceline and moved to Indianapolis so Jim could study law. And this was during the summer of 51. They moved into an apartment behind a temple called Shriners. And they also apparently had a shit ton of pets around this time. So, um, so much that they couldn't, like, really take care of them. So, we love anim animal abuse here, you know? Um, and they literally had a monkey who Jim apparently taught to attack on command, which feels illegal, but okay. Uh, during this time, Jim worked like a dog, and he also made his wife do the same. They barely slept, and they definitely treated more, they treated Ronnie more like a son, even having him call them both mom and dad. And in turn, they were super hard on him and they expected him like to be his best self at all times. And Jim attempted to indoctrinate Ronnie and he would just like ramble on about all the things that he believed in. And he would talk about how communism isn't that bad and the black people are just like you and me. And he would also make Ronnie do good deeds around the neighborhood, like healing the poor. Why did I put healing the poor? Why are they healing? I think I meant helping the poor. Sorry, the document that I'm reading off of said healing the poor, but I think it's helping the poor and local immigrants. So I guess it was safe to say in a weird way, Ronnie was his first follower. And in April, 1952, uh, Jim gave up on law school. <laughs> and decided to enter the ministry <laughs> and uh marceline's family was like super shocked by this announcement because jim was super wishy-washy about religion at this point like i said he was really questioning his religion and you know and yeah it just seemed very very shocking it was a very abrupt move in his uh trajectory, I guess. But Jim said his explanation as to why he was joining the ministry was basically because uh, there was like this thing that, I don't know, was put into effect called the Methodist Social Creed. Uh, so this thing um, made him change his mind and showed him that the church was aligned with his social justice goals. And this creed is like this five-page document which expressed their goals, which was to help the poor and have like some sort of security for the elderly, something called collective bargaining, which I don't know what the fuck that is, <laughs> free speech, uh, prison reform, and jobs for all. And all of this was declared before the civil rights movement. 
And the final goal was to stand up for the rights of racial groups. So Jim was like, hell yeah, on board with God now, let's go. And in June 1952, Jim Jones accepted a position. In his first sermon, he only spoke about the moral lessons in the Bible. He showed his liberal colors and he spoke on discrimination. He attacked his attracted people. I don't really, my dyslexia is really showing right now, sorry. Uh, but he attracted people from various religious faiths. After this, Jim and Ronnie started like church hopping, so like bar hopping, but like with churches. And we're basically trying to find their way into a mainly black populated church, I guess, or a church that was in an area that was mostly black people. And he basically wanted to recruit black people, which feels weird to say out loud. So I'm sorry. And basically when they were church hopping though, they did like make friends with people in the church and I didn't, the TLDR, they did eventually get like this one guy uh on board and this kind of let other like it kind of hinted or implied to other people of color that like jim was a safe person to like a safe pre preacher you know for them to go listen to and worship god with also while all of this was happening uh jim was trying to make ronnie his like legal son and he was lying to Ronnie, falsely telling him that his mother no longer loved him. And that's why, like, him and Marceline should be his parents. And although Ronnie really respected and was loyal to Jim, Jim was super co controlling to both Ronnie and Marceline. And Ronnie was just really against being his legal son. And, like, at this point, Marceline also wanted to get a divorce, but obviously couldn't because of her religious beliefs and she also didn't want to be stigmatized so now jim was turning to god as his whole ass job he was literally entering the ministry so he had obviously had found god and you know he wasn't going to be a controlling weirdo right like you know seemed that way but uh, jim wanted to be like the preachers on tv he wanted to be like famous, but like for God and his activism. And Jim did do some good. I don't. I don't really know. I don't know. I do want. I. I want to say the the good that he did was genuine, but I don't know. Like he did break down a lot of like racial barriers between the churches. He built a like twenty thousand dollar recreational center for children of all faiths which actually landed him in his first newspaper article. There was many when like Jim was not being a psychopath. There was like a lot of newspaper articles about him. But basically Jim would do he would do that thing where like he healed people but like with the Holy Spirit, you know? And obviously like that's bullshit. He would like take notes on people and then use these notes to like call them out and heal, heal them during sermons. And in 1954, he was doing a sermon very much like the one I just explained, where he was like healing people and preaching and blah, 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 curing people of their cancer or whatnot. And this was in Somerset and um, basically a dirty little nine-year-old came up to him, handed him flowers. She had a stutter. 
She told, she told Jim that she loved him and her mother was like a neglectful drug addict and she just like let Jim take this daughter and, or her daughter. And this little girl, her name was Agnes and Agnes ended up being the light and inspiration that Marceline needed in her life. But unfortunately her marriage to Jim still very much upset her. She was very depressed in her marriage and in her life. And Jim like started to become beloved at this point just like adopting random drug addicts, children and stuff, healing people of cancer and all their other ailments, whatever. And like, he was kind of hot. Like he kind of looked like Elvis Light. Women were flocking to him because he was like this attractive young preacher and an activist. Ooh, you know, the girls were just like, oh, hell yeah, Jesus, whatever. I don't know. And he was also like performing like what these people thought were actual miracles. And like the people literally thought this man could walk through walls and Jim was like in such a grandiose state that he like nearly believed his own bullshit during this time. So he would like literally come home and mock Marceline and tell her how many women have been flirting with him that day. And I'm sure, you know, that made her feel really lovely. So on the rise of his success, he left Somerset and rented a small building in a, like a really racially mixed area. And this was called the, it was called Community Unity. <laughs> and it was still going on with his activism, United People with God. Uh, the church had this like brotherhood as the theme, holy, holy rolling as a style. And that is a quote from uh, the book Raven that I was reading. Um, I just thought that was funny the way, I don't know. He was like, rock and roll, but God, I don't know. I don't, like, I'm really, it really, really seems like he wanted to be like a rock star. But among like the church going community, Jim was the man that literally healed people. He would perform, I, he would just claim that like, he could like make cancer cells, like pass through their bodies and get rid of their ailments, pray the sick away. Like his small church, because he was doing these miracles, were filling with hundreds of people. Jim was pulling in crowds and all looking to worship, worship God with Reverend Jim Jones to be healed by Reverend Jim Jones. I don't know, just I, seems very sus and obviously it was. So Community Unity, which was the church, the small church, was filling so much so that Jim opened up a different, nicer church in another racially mixed inner city. And this was originally called Wings of Deliverance. Um, he started referring to, to his people and this church as a movement. So this church was located on Laurel Street, and this Laurel Street congregation basically would be like the core people who would run it. And, and these people are like the people who followed him to the end. They originally followed him for the movement, but more important, they like at, at this time they followed him for his like snake oil healings. So Wings of Deliverance was immediately like basically almost immediately renamed to the People's Temple. And obviously that's a name he would stick to. And, you know, obviously it was a name that, you know, no one, no one will ever, everyone knows what that is. <laughs> Not for anything good, but you know. But um, the, the name change was due to the fact that it literally was the People's Temple. Like Jim's success was literally, quite literally determined by basically how many asses he could get in seats. He was funded by the people. He didn't have a wealthy benefactor. He was fully funded by the people of this area. And the people 
like especially religious people who resided on the poorer side of town were more willing to follow him and and to give someone who was willing to con them into believing their healing and the road to celebration like there were more like i don't know like people like this and i think even now like those like church people you see on tv they like they con poor people they con people who are looking for something they're looking for like like whatever path they're meant to be on because you know ugh, i feel like they're the most vulnerable people and that's who they prey on i don't know but these people were just more willing to follow the con man whose beliefs were like basically tainted by sleight of hand rather than backed by god so so at this point <laughs> jim jones was getting real pissed off that people were coming to him to be healed, even though that's basically what he surrounded his, like, essentially his marketing on, but okay. Um, but he, want, he, like, literally at this point, he's like, yo, now that you all believe that I could walk through walls and heal, heal your cancer, let's talk about the real issues here. I want to merge all classes and all races. Like, that's what, I mean, like, he, he was, um, obviously an activist. I'll give him that. That's all I'll give him. But he did really want unity between all of Indianapolis. And he was, like, quoted saying that we're an interracial group. And if anyone doesn't like it, you don't have to give us your money. Which, I don't, you know, whatever. I don't know. And I don't know if I believe that. But okay. So I, I do really believe that Jim was pissed off about, like, people being racist. <laughs> and I really do think that he wanted to be an activist. And I do think that he had a lot of very radical opinions for the time about racism and black people. And by this point, his his church was 50-50, like, in terms of race. It was, like, 50% white, 50% black. It was very integrated, which, you know, like I said, that's all I'll give him. <laughs> good job. <laughs> and, I, and I do think that he wanted to do some good. Like, he, he, like, I genuinely think he wanted to shelter shelter the poor, provide a home and a family for the lonely. He, he like, even wanted people to wear casual clothes to church, so that way if anyone couldn't afford nice clothes, they wouldn't feel left out. His church fed the poor, gave free clothing, delivered coal to the people who couldn't heat their homes. Like I said, I think, I think this is real, or at least I, I don't know, I hope it is. Um, I think that maybe, I don't know, like, I think... Mm, I, I think maybe he did the healing stuff to get asses in seats, like I said. Like, I think that was, like, to get people in the door, but I still find it extremely predatory. I think people, most people, most preachers who do that now, they're, they're preying on you. Don't listen to them. But I don't know. Like, I do get the sense that, um, like, he, like, genuinely believed what he was saying. Like, and I also think he did, like, want, like, a big old family, you know, which is, you know obviously the next logical step for wanting a family is to start a cult clearly so um i did watch the hulu documentary on him and they seem to claim that he was sane like a good person an activist but like i i don't or that's what it seemed like to me anyway i don't actually think that i think that he had some good intentions but i do think that he was a sick person from the beginning i don't know if he was like a narcissist a sociopath a psychopath i don't know if he suffered like what he suffered from specifically but i think he was suffering and you know i th i also think that perhaps you know i think he did believe in what he was saying and what he was uh, being an activist for but I also think he liked the ego stroke 
you know, of people following him because of his beliefs. Like, I don't think it was all... There were was some good intention, intentions, but I also think that perhaps those good intentions, um, you know, came with something that inflated his ego. And I just think that, like, Jim had... He had, he had problems prior to this. It's not like... I, I, he did fucked up things before, like, when he was a kid, you know? Like, look how fucked up his mom was. Look at his family life. Look at that that family uni- unit, it, you know? Like, his mom didn't even want to have him. And when he was born, she already had all these, like, expectations of what she wanted him to be. She was never around. The father was sick uh, and weak. Like, Jim was already fucked up. He had the makings of someone, a mentally ill person at the least. So, I don't know, you take this, like, person who has problems, who has trauma, who seemed a little bit controlling and manipulative, maybe even a little narcissistic, I don't know. You take all of that and you put him in a situation where he's healing people and teaching them the word of God and saying that God is speaking through him and that the Holy Spirit is healing people through him. I don't know. And, and, you know, people are falling to his feet and, you know, that's like something he's never experienced before that, you know, people saying that, you know, you know, it wasn't God, it was Jim who healed their cancer or whatever. <sighs> and it just seems like everything that we discussed today was just like recipe for disaster. I don't know. <laughs> that's what it seems like to me. But with that being said, I wanted to just talk about like the beginnings today and we'll talk more about the beginnings and his moves and like, you know, all this other stuff in the next episode. But this is where I'm going to end this episode because I think, I think mama needs to take a nap. I don't know. <laughs> Look at how far we got in the knitting situation. Pretty good. But yes, uh, my next Jim Jones episode hopefully will be up in the next, maybe next week, maybe a couple weeks. I don't know. I I do like five different jobs, so (laughs) we'll see how quickly I could get these out. But I hope you guys have a lovely day. Please subscribe to this channel if you are watching this on my YouTube channel. If not, if you're watching this on Spotify, give me a follow and then go to YouTube and subscribe if you want more content. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I also have like a tw- uh, an Instagram for this podcast, but I don't really post it on it. I'm sorry. And if you want super extra content, follow me on OnlyFans or Patreon. I hope you have a lovely day and thank you for listening to the Raise Mary Hell podcast.